0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the College Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith, and if you're someone that watches on YouTube, you might notice some new additions to the whole uh, look I got going here. Finally got my little College Game Time studio set up to the way I wanted it to be. I told you, uh, if you've been watching, I don't know how long you've been watching. you have been watching for a while now. You know I typically have a pretty good setup. Uh, Not as good as what I have now. Shout out to my wife and my wife's aunt for coming through and helping me out. But um, it's been pretty bland here lately. I told you, some of you may not have been listening at this point, but I did move like earlier this summer and it's just taken me forever to get everything just right. And now it's just right. So i love any comments that you have on the new look for the show. Um, And as always, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe. Like maybe you've been watching and you're like, I'm not going to subscribe until this guy gets a background that doesn't suck. So maybe today's the day you subscribe. So like, subscribe, comment at the end, share it with a friend. If you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Well, on YouTube, my, uh, my little setup is way better than what it's been. But if you're listening there, leave a five-star rating, leave me a positive review. I'd greatly appreciate it. We got a lot to get to today from the weekend. So, Let's get to it. We got the Monday mowdown, but before we get into that, we are going to look at this race for the G5 New Year 6 bid. So this year, the New Year's 6 bid is going to get either the Cotton Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, or the Peach Bowl. Those are the three, you know, at-large opportunities. So it's going to be one of those bowls. And the AP Top 25 came out yesterday. Fresno State has bumped from 25 to 24. They've moved up a slot and we still have Tulane Air Force getting votes and new this week, James Madison, JMU also received votes. Now remember, JMU is ineligible because of the two-year transitional window that the NCAA puts out. But I'm telling you right now, I watched a little bit of JMU over the weekend. They are going to be a G5 force to reckon with. I promise you that. Um. But let's let's look at this. So what does this mean? What does the latest AP poll mean for the grand scheme of that New Year's Six bid? Well, here's how I'm gonna lay it out. If we're sitting in a car or looking in a car, the race to the New Year's Six bid, Fresno State is in the driver's seat, Air Force, who also received votes, I don't know if I said that, did I say Air Force? Tulane Air Force, yeah, and then ineligible JMU. Air Force is in the passenger seat. Memphis and Tulane are in the back seat. And then if I had to put a team in the trunk, I'm putting Marshall there. I think one of you on YouTube, you've been commenting anytime I talk about this, what do I think about Marshall's chances? Listen, they still need help. But if they were to run the table, they have a very strong case as they go undefeated in their conference, win their conference championship. And if they were to run the table, they'd have two power five wins. They already have one under their belt against, I think, Virginia Tech. And then they've got NC State coming up this weekend. So keeping an eye on Marshall, Marshall still needs some help. Tulane and Memphis, who are sitting in the back seat, they still need some help. But they've got a pretty big matchup coming up next weekend, like they've got the bye week and then coming out of that, they play each other in Memphis. That's gonna be a very critical game for the American Athletic Conference as a whole. And then of course, you've got Air Force up there in the passenger seat and you've got um, Fresno controlling their own destiny at this point. If Fresno wins out, they're in, regardless of what happens with any other team. Now, they've got a big matchup this weekend at Wyoming. So that'll, that'll, you know, that's kind of one of their first big tests to running the table is at Wyoming. So we'll see how that goes. I've been saying this about Fresno. It won't be easy, but they do have the ingredients to run the table. Air Force actually has a matchup at Navy in a few weeks. So the American Conference's very own, the Navy midshipmen could be the team that wrecks the Air Force Academy's New Year's six bid dreams. And then of course, if both of those teams were to run the table in their Mountain West schedules, they would face off in the conference championship. So I do still think uh, personally that Tulane is in the best position of all the American conference teams. They've uh, they've got a quality loss to Ole Miss. I I mean, and I, I guess Memphis technically does too, man. They got a quality loss to Mizzou. So those teams are neck and neck. So we'll see. The week, you know, week seven, I guess it'll be, that matchup's gonna I think that's gonna dictate a lot for the AAC as it pertains to the New Year's six bid. But um and then another question, could a two loss team get a New Year's six bid? Yeah, they could, but all these teams I just listed, they're gonna have to lose two. And it and if they all lose two, it might be one of those teams. But I don't know that a current two loss team is going to be able to have a strong enough resume to leapfrog any of these teams that are ahead of them even if these teams that are ahead of them well maybe if they get two losses because you think last year Tulane got the new year's six bid with two losses but they had a win against Kansas State who ended up winning the big 12 and then two of their wins in conference well one of them in conference play and one of them in the conference championship were against ranked opponents with UCF who they played twice. They lost one and then one that beat them in the rematch uh, in the conference championship and then they beat Cincy and they were both ranked. I don't know that a team like Tulsa or, or uh, SMU, who both also have two quality losses, or even a team like USF, who's getting hot right now, but they have those two losses. Now, one's to Alabama, we understand that one, but that one to, to uh, Western Kentucky is the one that's really hurting their resume for that. And they would just, as I said, need a lot of help to get the New Year's Six bid. Because Tulane had a not-so-desirable loss. Who was it? Uh, they had Southern Miss. They lost to Southern Miss last year. But what was able to offset that was the fact that they had three ranked wins. I don't know if Kansas State was ranked when they beat them, but the fact that Kansas State went on to win the Big 12 certainly helped the resume. Then they had a ranked win against Cincy, a ranked win against UCF in the conference championship. So it kind of helped offset things, plus the layout of the other G5s. It just worked in Tulane's favor. (sighs) I don't know that there's any American conference teams that in conference play are gonna be able to get multiple ranked matchups. In fact, the one ranked matchup that might be on the table will likely be Tulane or Memphis, the winner of that game. The fact that Tulane is still getting votes, I think they just need to keep winning and it's only a matter of time before they sneak back into the top 25. Um, Especially when you consider the fact that their loss was to Ole Miss, which was still a competitive game and they had their backup quarterback. And if you recall, or if you... Understand, the CFP committee, when they set those rankings, they take into consideration injuries like that. And it can work in a team's favor or it can work against a team. If say a team loses a key player towards the end of the season, the CFP committee takes that into consideration. So, But then of course, in in the case of Tulane, they were missing their key player and still competed even though they lost. All right, let's get to the Monday mowdown starting with uh, Tulane UAB. So uh, I'm not going to go Tulsa Temple because I went over Tulsa Temple last Friday. That was a Thursday night game. But Tulane and UAB, uh, I'm going to start with what everyone's talking about as it pertains to this game. And it was the outburst from Coach Trent Dilfer. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know I said after week one that it was only a matter of time before Trent Dilfer had an absolute outburst or I think what I said was he verbally eviscerates I thought it would be an official that's what I said I said before he verbally eviscerates an official didn't think it would be his assistants but that's who it ended up being very critical moment in the game very self-inflicted wound penalty Uh, uh Tulane was getting ready to punt the ball UAB got called for 12 men on the field Tulane got the first down that was that right there I mean that Essentially was the 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 penalty that really turned the momentum in Tulane's favor and allowed Tulane to run away with the game. Not saying UAB didn't still have another chance, because I do think they still had another chance later on, but like that was a critical point in the game and Dilfer went off. If you haven't seen it, obviously it's going viral. I actually posted a side by side of my clip of me saying that at the beginning of September and then that happening several weeks later. Listen, it's one of those deals where you got people, you got half the people who are, you know, criticizing Dilfer. He took it too far. You don't do that to assistants. He's in the wrong. And then you got the other 50% who are like, well, that's just accountability. That's the kind of coach he is. If you can't take it, you don't need to work for him. You know, basically you, you, you again have a very polarized moment in, and it's Trent Dilfer, right? Like, People love to polarize things Trent Dilfer does. And so half the people are going to support him. Half the people are going to criticize him. That's what's happening with this. And here's the reality. Say I'm a coach. Trent Dilfer gets hired by UAB. Like, I already know if I'm going to take a job to be one of his assistants, that that's how he is. He's an intense, passionate, fiery guy, which I think are all, positive qualities in a head coach. But if you even look at him when he coached high school football, he was the same way. He had moments like that. He even had one that went viral doing that to a player. And if I remember correctly, I think he actually was a former teammate of that player's father and they had a great relationship. So my thing is when these moments happen, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. So we're all saying, oh, we're taking it too far. Oh, he's in the wrong. But we don't know the relationship between him and those coaches he was going off on, particularly the one who I think was the the main special teams coach. I don't know. I don't know who the specific assistants are or who they were, but it was pretty evident they were somehow affiliated with the special teams unit. And so I I just say, like, you know who Coach Zilfer is. So it's like if I'm a guy who I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be chewed out like that in front of everybody, Like I might not go work for Coach Dilfer, because I got to understand like that's going to come with that territory. Nick Saban used to do the same thing. He used to do the same thing to Lane Kiffin all the time. So let's just keep that in mind, all right? Before we just start getting on this holier than thou, you know. Let's just, you know, come after Trent Dilfer. Now, look, where do I stand on it? I mean, personally exactly what I just said. I think if I'm an assistant coach under coach Dilfer, like I know what I'm signing up for. I know that this is a part of what I'm signing up for. So whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, the truth is this wasn't just some out of nowhere circumstance where he got too emotional. Like this is, this is who he is. This is how he coaches. Um, and I think that that's one of those things that, that, you know, people love them for it and then people hate them for it but that's all I'm going to say on that as it pertains to UAB uh, they had a chance to win the game they had a great game plan I figured they would cover I said they would cover this game went almost exactly how I said it was going to go that they would compete that they would have grit that they would have fight and if they brought that same passion and in, in competitiveness and in, in execution that they brought to Georgia to Tulane it's going to be a close game and it was now let's talk about this from Tulane's perspective I thought early on, Michael Pratt looked off. He looked like he was inaccurate. He looked like he was out of rhythm. But then on the playback, I'm wondering if it was more of him and his receivers just not being on the same page. Because a lot of his incompletions early in that game, it's almost like he was throwing a different route than what the receiver was running. I feel like vividly, there was one where the receiver clearly ran a post and it looked like Pratt was throwing a corner. So I don't really know their scheme so, I don't know, like, what are the choice routes? What are the reads there, right? And if the quarterback and receiver are not on the same page making the same read, then of course you might run into a situation where the quarterback's throwing a different route than what the receiver is running. And I think that happened a couple times early in that game. UAB was able to capitalize on that. Once Tulane settled in and got back to their identity, which is running the football, that's when the momentum began to shift. Tulane made their comeback. And then, you know, somewhere late in the third, early fourth, I think, then they extended the lead, put the game away and uh, go into the bye week with Memphis on deck. So that was that game, keeping it moving. We have USF Navy. uh, Oh, sorry, Tulane over UAB 35-23. I don't know if I said that. USF over Navy forty-four thirty. 30 Once again, a game that went almost exactly as I said it would. I told you to take the over on this, 54 and a half. Game went over 74. Here's what I said, though. The last team you want to play when you're starting to feel good about yourself is Navy. Navy showed exactly why I said that. USF went in that game, got punched in the mouth in the first quarter, and I think they got down into a 14-0 hole. But... They settled in, they got back to their identity. What is this USF identity offensively? It's explosiveness, it's tempo. It's Byron Brown running the show, finding his playmakers and getting them the ball. And that's what he did. Um, It was a a close game back and forth and then until it wasn't. And then USF just really began to run away with it. As I said last week, we are seeing a dog mentality from this Bulls team that we have not seen in a while. I just want to see how they play. They're going to be a tough out down the stretch in conference play. And as I said, they're going to, they would need a lot of help to make a case for a New Year's six bid. But if they somehow are able to run the table, you know, that's uh either way. I mean, I think just getting bowl eligible is an amazing feat. Um, but I, I think their ceiling right now is higher than just bowl eligibility. I think we're we're I don't think a 10-win season is out of the the picture, including a bowl game, you know? But, you know, definitely eight or nine is certainly um, within reason and within reach for this team. It will be huge for Golish's first season, man. Just tremendous job this guy's doing at USF. Just completely turning over the culture. And, uh, I mean, so many different milestones that he's hitting in this first year that they've just been desperate for for the last, you know, half decade or so. So hats off to USF. Navy's still going to be a tough out. They're going to be a thorn in people's side all season long. Moving on, we had the Memphis Boise State game. Memphis over Boise State 35-32. Man, it seemed like early in this game that the Tiger the Tigers were really losing the field position game. And Boise was able to capitalize on that. Uh, you know, whether that's special teams whatever it is, Boise was kind of doing exactly what I was concerned about for Memphis, which was, you know, where Memphis is weak, Boise was strong with their run game. They got Genty going. They were using Taylor Green in the run game. And of course, the field position game was heavily in Boise State's favor early. But Memphis made the adjustments they needed to make. They started making Taylor Green beat them with his arm. And then next thing you know, memphis scores 28 unanswered they hold boise off at the end and win the game that's what my pre-game kind of analysis was memphis has got to make taylor green beat them with his arm and once they started doing that that's when they started to mount their comeback that's when they started scoring all these unanswered points and in fact boise ended up going with a different quarterback to try and push the ball downfield who's a better passer but in the end memphis got the win Very crucial. So now, right now, the American Conference, as I've said, we've got two one-loss teams who each of their one losses are to SEC opponents and they're getting ready to face off. That is a very important game for this conference if the conference wants to keep the New Year's six-bid streak alive. But we'll talk about that next week because we got some time before that one. Uh, Moving on, we got Rice ECU. Oh, my goodness. This... Was like a boring Big Ten game. I'm talking Illinois, Indiana, or what was it a few years ago? Illinois, Penn State, where it was like a 17 14, nine overtime game, something like that. Either way, it just, it's like the game was 10 3, it seemed like, for the whole first half. Then ECU gets a couple of field goals, makes it 10-9. And it felt like the score was just stuck at 10-9 for the whole game. Then we get another touchdown by Rice ecu i mean we got some fireworks there towards the end to end up getting what was it 24 17 yeah 24 17 rice which i told you rice was going to cover especially if jt daniels played ecu handled rice's passing offense much better than i thought they would so hats off to them there but they're still having this identity crisis on offense and i don't know if it's an identity crisis or if they're just not very good um And I know right now, ECU Nation, I know you fans are definitely calling for some turnover on the coaching staff. Now, I don't know if it's just on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know if it's all the way at the top of the program, but I know that there is some uh, disappointment. There's some frustration, and I know that the morale around the fan base right now is is very low especially after dropping this game to Rice. Because even though Rice is a lot better this year than what I think a lot of people anticipated them being, you still don't want to be an existing conference team that loses to a team that just entered your conference for the first year, particularly when they came from a lower level conference. And it was a team that, you know, like Rice, who they haven't been good in a very long time. So tough one for ECU. I know the fan fan base is... Struggling right now. Shout out to Rice though. I mean, they're proving a lot of people wrong. That JT Daniels pickup in the portal was huge. It's proving to be huge. And if they can keep him healthy, I believe this is a bowl eligible team, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, next, we had North Texas ACU. North Texas over ACU 45 to 31. The positives for UNT, they've, they've really found their offensive identity. They've got their quarterback. Um, Another excellent outing from the offense. There's tempo. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to run the ball. They're going to, they're going to play for explosive plays. And um, that's what they did against ACU. The, the downside to UNT is this defense still just does not look good. Now, if their offense can, can, can stay on the trajectory that it's on, you kind of put yourself in a position where you just need a defense that doesn't suck. But the problem is, is you you also could end up in a situation, as I've said before, where it's like the Kingsbury era at Tech, where your team's scoring 40 to 60 points a game, but you're still losing because you're giving up more. So we'll see. I think for North Texas, they need to win the next two. It's not going to be easy. They've got Navy and Temple. Navy will not be easy. I don't think North Texas is going to be able to stop Navy's offense, but I do think North Texas's offense is going to be able to score points on Navy's defense game might come down to a, you know, an inopportune turnover, um, a, a, a big special teams play, who can get a stop or who has the ball last or is Navy going to take the air out of the ball? and try to keep North Texas' offense off the field. That's to be determined. We'll talk more about that game as the week goes on, but they got to win the next two. I think I think their bowl eligibility is really relying on them winning the next two because here's the thing. They win the next two and they start 2-0 in conference, which is, it's feasible. It's not unrealistic to think North Texas could win the next two games against Navy and Temple. Now they've, they, they, they're on a four-game win streak heading into the gauntlet of their schedule, which is going to be, Tulane, Memphis, SMU, UTSA, Tulsa. I don't know if it's in that order, but it's those five teams. I don't know that UNT is going to be favored in any of those games. I guess we got to wait and see what UTSA comes out of their bye week with. Are they healthy? Do they have their quarterback? How do they look? But I think if North Texas can win the next two, win one of those five, at least, and then come into UAB where they got UAB at home to end the season and that that game's for bowl eligibility, I think that could be big for North Texas. And I think a bowl eligibility season in Eric Morris, Eric Morris's year one in year one in the American conference. I think that would be a tremendous uh, step in the right direction. I think that would be a tremendous building block for the future and, and would really give coach Morris a lot of momentum you know, heading into the future with North Texas. Uh, and then finally, and I'll wrap it up here, but we had SMU Charlotte. Uh, from SMU's perspective, did exactly what I expected them to do. Uh, I said that they would likely cover. I don't know if they actually ended up covering that spread, uh, but they they did. They won 34 to 16. I don't think they covered it actually, but they won thirty-four-sixteen. They look like they bounced back. They look better. Uh I still I'm still not so sure they've played four quarters of football yet. Like four quarters of their best football yet. And I think if they get to a point where they start playing four quarters of like SMU football, like SMU's best football, they're gonna they got a really good chance to make some noise down the stretch. Again, this is a team that does need some help if they want to make some noise for the New Year's six bid, though they do have two uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not excusable losses, but two losses that justifiable losses. That's the word I'm looking for. Losing to OU and TCU, even though I don't think they should have lost to TCU and I'm gonna keep saying that. But they look good. They looked the part. Uh, where my concerns are with this game were on the other sideline with Charlotte. And I'm gonna quote Biff Poge here, okay? He said it, not me. But he said in one of his sideline interviews, I think going from the third to the fourth quarter, straight up, we don't look very well coached. That's Coach Biff Pogey talking about his team. He said, We do not look very well coached, and that's on me. And he's right, they don't. This offense looks just as vanilla in week five as it looked in week one. What I'm not certain of with this Charlotte team, you know, speaking of identity crisis. <laughs> That's what I sense from this Charlotte team on the offensive side of the ball. And if you're a Charlotte fan and you're watching, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts in the comment or see your thoughts in the comments because it's almost like the identity that Poji wants to establish, he doesn't have the personnel for it or he doesn't have the coaching for it. I I, I don't know what it is. It just seems like it's the same offense running the same plays, <clears throat> Week in and week out. You know, are you a spread option team with Jalen Jones? You know, and he's not even making, like he's making some some bad reads in that option game. He's a playmaker, but he's, so I, I said it in preseason. I said Biff Pogey's success at Charlotte is going to rise and fall on his assistant coaches, particularly his offensive and defensive coordinators. So y'all tell me, but I think Biff Bogey is going to be a tremendous recruiter. I think he's going to be a guy that gets these players motivated and ready to play, ready to run through a wall for him. But the problem is, is you start to lose some of that luster when you lose and you need more than just that to win. You've got to have good schemes. You've got to have guys prepared. And uh, I'm just not so sure that's what they have. And, you know, I guess you can make an argument, (coughs) excuse me, He's coming from, from Michigan, where Michigan doesn't always have the most dynamic, electric offense, especially with with playing hardball ball, but the thing is, is you can play hardball ball at Michigan and win 90% of your games, sometimes more. I mean, the last couple years, they've just been bullying people until they hit the buzz saw of Georgia. At least two years ago, they hit the buzz saw of Georgia, and then I think last year against TCU, uh, they just... They just lost straight up, but it wasn't because their offense got stifled by any means. They just couldn't stop TCU. So I don't know if they're going to try and play that Michigan brand of football. Like they're going to have to commit to it in recruiting and they're going to have to really build the trenches and the, and they're going to have to sacrifice s- some skills guys because a lot of times skill guys don't want to go play there unless it's Michigan, right? Cause Michigan is Michigan. It's a blue blood program, but I don't know if they want to be this pound the rock, run the ball and then use, use that to get your play action shots happening. That's not what we're seeing. And I don't know if they have the personnel to do that. So curious to know your thoughts on that. I'm over time. I just looked at the clock tomorrow. We got, uh, 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 what's trending Tuesday, most likely Tuesday. Let me know what you guys think about the new look. Uh, As far as my little college game time studio goes, I do have a couple more lighting things I'll be tweaking, but who knows how much that'll actually translate on camera. But all that being said, see y'all tomorrow. That's it for me today. Trey Smith, college game time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are The Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.